You take the word of God and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts. And uh, we're going to um, begin in the first chapter. Again, we are dealing here with um, some lessons that we learn uh, from the churches in Acts. As we think about the church, we think about uh, the church of Jerusalem first and then churches, plural, as we see the gospel being propagated through um, the book of Acts. But I want to encourage you in this respect that uh, Jesus Christ is still writing about the history of the church. He is writing the history of this church. And when we put that in perspective, we have to ask ourselves, would we be a good example if we were in the first century? Would we be a good example to the 21st century churches 2,000 years later? What would be written about First Aid Baptist Church? We spent some time emphasizing some of the lessons we learned last week about the book of Acts and really to think about the work of the gospel. We mentioned that the Lord Jesus Christ left the responsibility of world evangelism to those who believed on Him. And so that means that you and I have the responsibility to take the gospel to every creature. We also noted that the work of evangelism is to be accomplished by the power of the Holy Ghost and at His direction. So what is required of us is first obedience, obedience to evangelize, to preach the gospel to every creature, and uh, He will empower us to do that and He will direct us as we obey Him. And we mentioned that the result of Holy Ghost empowerment is really threefold throughout the book of Acts. First of all, there is boldness in preaching. There is going to be unity and commitment and clarity in direction. And we also noted that the churches did not shrink in the face of opposition, physical harm, public censorship, or persecution. Uh, it's evident that they flourished during those very same things. But this morning, as we consider a summary of the book of Acts, I want to ask a question. What lessons did we learn from the people in Acts uh, that God used to propagate the gospel? And I, I really want to encourage you this morning, uh, as we think about some lessons we've learned from the book of Acts, I'm thinking about the people. Really, when we think about the church, uh, the church is not a building. It's the people. And so if uh, this uh, building, I do not wish for it, but if this building uh, burnt down this afternoon, we would find a place to meet this evening. And it won't be here, but it would be somewhere uh, because the church does not consist of uh, brick and mortar. It consists of people, souls that have been redeemed, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost and who have assembled themselves voluntary, voluntarily uh, together to carry out the Great Commission and to continue the work of God. But I want to spend some time examining the people and see what lessons we can learn for us from those people in the first century. The first thing I really want to, at the onset to say as we read in Acts chapter 1 verse 13, I want you to notice what the Bible says, and when they were come in, they went up into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication 
with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. The first thing that I really noted as the book of Acts, and that's not just true right here in the very first chapter of Acts, but it's true throughout the entirety of the book of Acts. And here's what we learn, is that the work of evangelism, which is the greatest work in the world today, was accomplished by common people. Now, we cannot emphasize this enough, and we cannot overstate that. Uh, that somehow, somehow we think, as we read through the book of Acts, that we might tend to think of the people there, wow, these are extraordinary people. And when I think about the word extraordinary, certainly in the sense that everybody is loved and extraordinary in the eyes of God, that God would send His Son to die on the cross to pay for your sin debt, in that sense you are extraordinary but not in the sense of the world. When we think of extraordinary in the world, we think of somebody that's got talents and gifts and we may tend to put people into a category and people who are able to do things and some people may see, uh, think of athletes or actors and things in the world that make people able to do things. They have this thing, the Guinness uh, World Records, I think, and they keep track of the people who do extraordinary things. But there is nothing that is as extraordinary as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the truth is, when we look at the scriptures, is God does not use extraordinary people to be involved in His extraordinary work. He always uses common people. I'm thinking about the list here that we just find in Acts chapter 1. You remember Andrew, Peter, James, and John were all fishermen? Just so that we put things in perspective, I know many of you like to fish, but this was their trade. And at that time, fishermen being a trade was not the most glorious of trades. It would have been a common trade. If you think about the hierarchy of jobs and the prominency of the job and the glory of job, fishermen would not be on the list. But notice that four, that we know perhaps more, but at least four, Andrew, Peter, James, and John were all fishermen, common people. Matthew, remember, was a tax collector for the Roman government, was despised by his fellow Jews. Uh, Simon uh, is called here in our text Zelotes or Zealot, uh, meaning that the, uh, the word was used when uh, people were engaged uh, in a political movement that was trying to overthrow the Roman government uh, over the Jews. And so, uh, not the Roman government generally, but the Roman government over the Jews in that area. And so, he was called, he was, if you would, a part of a political movement and really involved with that. Uh, think about Mary is mentioned here. We know she's the mother of Jesus, but she was the wife of a carpenter. When we read of her very early on, they were not well off. They were quite poor. And yet these are the 120 people that God used as a springboard from which to launch the church into the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. When we get to, First Thessal uh, to Acts chapter um, 17 in, in Thessalonica, uh, the Bible says these are they which have turned the world upside down. Common people is what we should think of. You say, Pastor, I'm just a common folk. Oh, you're in good company. I don't see a list of, 
uh, extraordinary people in the sense that God lays out some requirements. It's all right, if you're going to serve me, you're going to have to have this amount of talents. If you're going to serve me, you're going to have this type of personality. If you're going to serve me, you're going No, God is willing to use and often has used common people. God has always used ordinary people to be in- involved in propagating his extraordinary work of redemption. You remember what was said of Peter and John when they stood before the Sanhedrin Council in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. They looked at them and they said, they perceived, the Bible says, that they were unlearned and ignorant men. You know what that meant is they weren't educated like all the people who were part of the Sanhedrin Council, which was comprised of Sadducees and Pharisees and scribes. And so uh, these were, what were they saying when they were saying they were ignorant and unlearned? They were common people. But the Bible says, and they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. (laughs) See, that's the wonderful thing, that Jesus Christ is interested in intervening in the lives of common people and making those common people involved in an extraordinary, extraordinary work. And that's the work of redemption, the work of evangelism. You see, the important thought is not that we need to become extraordinary Rather, it is that we would become involved in an extraordinary work. You see, our lives will be defined by the worthiness of the causes that we engage in. So let me ask you this this morning, what causes have you engaged in? There is no other worthier cause than to simply point our fellow man to Jesus Christ. And God uses common people to do that. And so, if you say today, Pastor, I can't be involved, I am too common. I'm saying you are the perfect candidate for the work of evangelism. So we see that the work of evangelism, which is the greatest work in the world, was accomplished by common people. There's a second thing that we learn as a lesson from the book of Acts, and that is that the involvement in the work of evangelism was not limited to the apostles themselves. The participation rate of those who evangelized then, I think we can say, was drastically different than the participation rate that we find in today's churches. Now I say this um, in all sincerity and with love for you and for the church and churches But the truth is, as you look through the book of Acts, it's very clear the rate of involvement that we find. Let me just bring your attention to one reference in chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, notice with me in uh, verse... Or, excuse me, did I say chapter 4? What I meant was chapter (laughs) 8. That's amazing how your mind goes one place and then your mouth says something else. That, that happens. Alright, Acts chapter 8. Notice verse 1. So this is after the stoning of Stephen. Uh, by the way, Stephen had been elected as one of the deacons in the church back in Acts chapter 6 and he uh, preach, preached boldly before the Sanhedrin council and um, he was stoned to death. In Acts chapter 8, after this, the Bible says in verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. 
And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. I want you to notice here. It says there was a great persecution against the church, and they were all scattered abroad. Who's the all referring to? It's referring to here to everybody except the apostles. Correct? He mentions at the end, puts this disclaimer. This persecution against the church scattered the church, and everybody was scattered about except the apostles. So that's everybody else in the church. Uh, go down to notice verse 4. What happens with those people that were scattered abroad? Therefore, they that were scattered abroad. Who's that? Everybody except the apostles. Correct? All right. What did they do? Went everywhere preaching the word. So I'm saying to us, when we read throughout the book of Acts, the work of evangelism was not uh, limited to the apostles. It was not limited to a select few, but rather it was, being, it was taken on by what it seems to us, everybody in the church. When you read those words, you have to ask yourselves, man, what was the participation rate in propagating the gospel when it came to the church at Jerusalem? Well, evidently, and, and notice we, we put that with the combination that that was during persecution. It was not during, if you would, during a time when the church had it easy or that there was no opposition. No, this was while there was persecution. The, pers the participation rate is not what we might think it to be. We might think, well, everybody's involved when there's freedom. Now, you know, when uh, there is not freedom, when there's persecution, probably the people that are, you know, in authority, we limit it to them because, you know, obviously God does not require everybody, right, to participate. You see, the involvement of the work of evangelism was not limited to a few. It seems very clear from the scriptures that the entirety of the church at Jerusalem, those who had been redeemed, were engaging in the work of evangelism. Uh, it's interesting if you just take the word all and do a search throughout the book of Acts, you'll find that when reference to the church, that the church there was a 100 participation rate. Uh, let me give you a few examples. For example, the Bible says that they all evangelized. That's what the word, that's what we find in, in chapter 8, back in chapter 4 as well. If you go back to chapter 4, remember, chapter 4 was just when uh, Peter and John had been told not to teach or preach in the name of Jesus Christ anymore. Well, after they had been beaten and threatened and released, they went back to, the, to their own company. They told the church what was told them, and so the church prayed together. And notice in Acts chapter 4, and notice with me in um, verse 24, we pick it up there. He says, um, And when they heard that they lifted up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, thou art God which has made heaven and earth and the sea and all that in them is. And so notice they lifted up their voice unto God with one accord. Everybody was involved. Everybody was in agreement. Notice down in verse 30. Uh, verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants 
that with all boldness they may speak thy word. Well, who's the servants referring to? Notice, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and the signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, who was praying? The entirety of the church. They, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Who's the they? That's all of them. So, we should not think of the church as, well, there's a select few people. I remember years ago, a, a, a man came to me and he says, well, I wish you would emphasize other gifts in the church apart from the gift of evangelism. And you should encourage other people to, do, to, to uh, uh, use their other gifts. Well, my reply was rather simple. I said, evangelism is not a gift. It's a command. Now, there are other gifts to the church. Don't, I understand that. And the gifts are to be exercised within the church. But evangelism is not one of them. It's not one of them. Uh, evangelism is a command and here we find that the participation rate was that the entirety they all received boldness they all preached everywhere uh, there's other things that they did all of them they all prayed that's something that all of us can do they all evangelized they all prayed and in chapter 4 we see they all gave uh, uh, notice in chapter 4 this, during this time of uh, persecution and threats in chapter 4 uh, notice what we find in verse 32. The Bible says, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that all of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. Notice here, again, Neither said any of them. Not one person in the church at that time said, Well, the, the possession, that's, that's our own. I'm not going to give anything to the church. That's mine. No, they had all things common. They provided for each other's needs. They all gave. So you find here uh, the idea today that churches have become an entertainment center where people come and are entertained. That's not what we find in the Bible. What we find in the Bible is that every single person was a participant in the church, whether it was evangelizing, whether it was praying, whether it was, as we see here, a giving, all were involved. So we see that the involvement in the work of evangelism was not limited to the apostles themselves. I want to ask you this question, how involved are you in the local church? If God were to write about First Day Baptist Church. And when I mean First Day Baptist Church, I mean the people within First Day Baptist Church. And if God were to write a story about how we are involved today at First Day Baptist Church, would we be an example of involvement as the believers were in the book of Acts? Now that's, that's, a, uh, that, that's a certainly a serious question. Uh, no doubt a convicting question, is it not? To me, certainly. But we have to ask ourselves this question. If, if it is our desire that we might be like those first century churches, then we have to ask ourselves this question and say, Lord, how am I doing? And if you're still writing about the history of the church since that first century, what would you write about me? 
there's another lesson we learn, and that is that the ministry of evangelism is promoted and maintained by the overlooked ministry of encouragement. Now, I say this because as I was thinking about all the messages throughout Acts and reading and meditating throughout the book of Acts, there's a great emphasis not just on those who are evangelizing, but on those who are encouraging the evangelizers who themselves are involved in evangelizing, but simply are there to be an encouragement, a blessing, and a support to those doing the work of God. For example, we saw this morning in Sunday school, uh, when after Saul was converted, if you remember in Acts chapter 9, he was baptized, he had preached the gospel in Damascus, but then he went to Jerusalem, and he tried to join himself to the disciples that were at Jerusalem, you remember, and they refused to receive him. Well, obviously he had been a persecutor, and that was his history, and so they thought to themselves, we don't want any of that. Well, guess who came along? Barnabas came along. And Barnabas took Paul under his wing, uh, figure of speech here, and brought him to the apostles, the Bible says. What was Barnabas? He, he is called the son of consolation. He is an encourager. He encouraged Paul, come, I'll bring you. I know they won't take you in, but I'll bring you with me. He was an encourager. By the way, Paul had already been preaching the gospel. He had already been serving. You can imagine the discouragement when he comes. He's excited about being born again. He's been preaching the gospel. He comes to the apostles. Hey, I'm ready to meet with you. And they're like, no thanks. They slam the door and he can't come in. That must have been discouraging. But Barnabas comes along and brings him in. He's an encourager. You find that throughout the Word of God. You think about even early on in, in Acts chapter 9, uh, God called Ananias to go and to meet Paul. Now, uh, the message that he delivered was, you know, it says, you're going to suffer many things for the name of Jesus Christ. Paul. But the point is, he was there to encourage him. Uh, later, when Paul is at Corinth in Acts chapter 18, uh, Paul starts the church at Corinth. He meets there, you remember, Aquila and Priscilla. And Aquila and Priscilla, if you study throughout the New Testament, they were involved and they had the church meeting in their home. They opened their home to, for the meeting of the church. Uh, they Remember when Apollos came along and he was preaching the word of God and people were amazed at his preaching. Well, Aquila and Priscilla took that young man and expounded unto him the word of God more perfectly. They were encouragers. They encouraged Paul. They encouraged Apollos. They, encur they were encouragers. And so throughout the book of Acts, you find that, yes, there is this emphasis on evangelism, but there's also a very strong emphasis on men and women who come alongside and who are simply this, encouragers. Before Paul, I just preached on our last message in Acts 28, before Paul arrived in Rome as a prisoner, you remember the believers in Rome... He was about 50 miles south of Rome. The believers that were in Rome, they had already received their letter, Romans, from Paul. They knew he was coming. They came down, remember, to the three taverns to meet Paul and basically to walk with him the rest of the way. And you remember we said that when Paul saw, saw them, he thanked God and took courage. You see, these uh, servants of God in the church at Rome just came alongside Paul just to encourage him. Now let me ask you this question. 
How many people have you personally, you personally, how many people have you gone out of your way to be an encouragement to? We have to ask ourselves that. We find that pattern. That's what the believers, they evangelize and they were encouragers. See, is all of us at some point will need encouragement. All of us at some point will need encouragement. But can I encourage you with something? <laughs> One of the best ways to be encouraged is to be an encourager. I think of when Paul, when he talked about being comforted, he says that those who have been comforted of the Lord are able also to comfort one another. There's something about the ministry that God, that, that the ministry that God has towards us and encouraging us, that then God wants to use us as a vessel for His glory to encourage and to comfort others. I think that the work of God needs a lot of encouragers. Why? Because, here it is, it's discouraging. On a, on a human level, it's discouraging. You say, well, how is it discouraging? Well, let me put it to you this way. Have you tried to evangelize? How's the response? Now, I, I read the book of Acts. I know there are many people believed. But the majority of people didn't. That's just the truth. Well, that's got to be pretty discouraging if you give your life to evangelize over and over again and you may see no fruit of the onset or you may have outright rejection. That's got to be pretty discouraging. And I believe that God has ordained that the church might work together not just to evangelize, but in that evangelizing to encourage one another, to strengthen each other's hands, to continue, to continue. But there is another thing that we find about the people in the book of Acts that we can learn, and that is this. The ministry of evangelism was carried out by common people who were willing to sacrifice. Now, I recognize that this is a strong word, sacrifice. We think of Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living Sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto God. And then he says, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I think of, of the book of Acts, and we have to say, it seems that it's a book about God's people making a sacrifice. Stephen, the first martyr of the church. In Acts chapter 7, we, he was stoned to death after he stood before the Sanhedrin council and preached with passion. To them. We think about Acts chapter 9. If you remember when Paul was converted, God sent Ananias to deliver a message to Paul. And here's the message that Ananias delivered to Paul. You're a chosen vessel to bear the name of Christ to the Gentiles. And you're a chosen vessel to suffer for his name. You know what Paul was immediately comforted, uh, uh, confronted with? when he was called of God to be a light to the Gentiles, that he would suffer for the name of Christ. What, did that mean? what does that mean? Saul, you have to be willing to sacrifice. You think about Judas and Silas. They were in the church of Jerusalem uh, when there was conflict over doctrine of the circumcision and keeping of the law. The church at Jerusalem sent two men up, Judas and Silas, 
to communicate to the church of Antioch. And if you remember, those two men were described in Acts chapter 15, verse 26, as men that have hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They have hazarded their lives. Now, hazarded means that they didn't lose their lives, but they have been willing. They were willing to lose their lives. In other words, Stephen lost his life. But nothing should be thought of lesser of Judas and Silas because they were willing to do the same. They were willing to sacrifice. In Acts chapter 17, you remember Jason in Thessalonica? <laughs> it was just three weeks that Paul had been there in Thessalonica preaching. Uh, three weeks time and then there was an uproar in the city while Jason evidently had opened his home to the believers or he had housed Paul, Timothy, and Silas. But he was just a man in Thessalonica. Nothing, he's not a preacher, he's not an elder, not a bishop, not a pastor. But he was not ashamed to be associated with Paul. And he either personally hosted Paul, Silas, and Timothy or he opened his house to the church meeting. But his house was assaulted and he stood accused before the people there. There was an uproar. The Bible says his, they assaulted the house of Jason. Jason, he's just a, another name mentioned. But do you notice he was willing to sacrifice? You remember what Jesus said to his disciples? He said in Matthew chapter 16, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here's the order that Jesus Christ put forth to his disciples. You want to come after me? Here's what you must first do. Number one, deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross. Don't take up the cross of Christ. Only he can bear that cross. Take up your cross. That means there's burdens that you must bear. And when you've denied yourself and you're willing to bear burdens, or can I say, if you're willing to sacrifice, then you can follow me. You see, we, we have a very... American Christianity is a very easy Christianity. Not a whole lot of sacrifice. We kind of serve God more out of convenience than sacrifice. I say this because I know it's true in my life. That's how we tend more to serve God. And so where is the sacrifice? There is only one way to follow Jesus Christ according to Jesus Christ. Self-denial, bearing burdens, and then he says, then you can follow me. There's no painless way to follow Jesus Christ. So may the Lord help us not to be superficial followers. Su superficial. I came across what David Livingston said when he was asked about making a sacrifice and being a missionary to Africa. What sacrifice have you made? And here's what David Livingston said. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Can that be called a sacrifice which is simply paid back as a small part of the greatest debt owing to our God which we can never repay? Is that a sacrifice which brings its own reward of 
healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with such a word, such a view, and such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger now and then for uh, with a foregoing of the common conveniences and the charities of this life may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and sink. But let this only be for a moment. All of these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall hereafter be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. Of this we ought not to talk when we remember the great sacrifice which he made who left his father's throne on high to give himself for us. I think he's just echoing the words of Romans 12.1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your, there it is, reasonable service. He said, I don't think in terms of sacrifice as much as I think, think in terms of privilege. It's a privilege to serve God. I came across this poem that was written by an unnamed evangelist. He says, I counted dollars while God counted crosses. I counted gains while He counted losses. I counted by worth by the things gained in store, but He sized me up by the scars that I bore. I coveted honors and sought for degrees. He wept as He counted the hours on my knees. I never knew until one day by the grave how vain are the things that we spend life to save. I did not yet know until my loved ones went above that riches, richest is He who is rich in God's love. As we think about the people in the book of Acts, as I mentioned in the beginning, this is what God wrote about those first century churches and specifically those first century people. That's what He wrote. That's what God says about them. And as God is still writing the history of the church, now we are here 2,000 years later, God is still keeping a record of the people of the church and I wonder if as God is writing about First State Baptist Church if he could write the same thing now that he wrote then see the work of evangelism was accomplished by common people it was not limited to the apostles themselves. It was promoted and maintained by the ministry of encouragement. And it was carried out by a people who were willing to sacrifice. That's what God says about those first century people in the early churches. Let's pray that God would help us so that he can write the same thing about First Aid Baptist Church.